Were you on now? Okay. <laughs> a year or two ago, I preached a sermon. <clears throat> thought I was on, but I was off. <laughs> now, my wife would tell you many times that I've been off many times in the past. <clears throat> but I really didn't want to do that again. <laughs> This week we will be celebrating a wonderful <coughs> celebration of our independence. That meant freedom. Freedom from England. Freedom from the tyranny of the king. Freedom from the taxes from England. I wonder what we'd say today. <coughs> so it's a wonderful celebration. In order to arrive at that freedom, <coughs> many of our people our men sacrifice their lives, sacrifice their fortunes, sacrifice their farms, their businesses. And it is said that many of the people who signed the Declaration of Independence died broke. It was a great sacrifice. <clears throat> By the way, if my voice cracks a little today, I'm second sermon and I'm not used to it. <laughs> so I thought, you know, it was wonderful to have this freedom. But what is the opposite of freedom? It's slavery. Oh, slavery is not a particularly nice word. And slavery has been defined in the dictionary as a condition where an individual is governed completely by someone else. He does what he's told, he lives where he has to live, and there is no way to get out and no freedom. He's done. So I thought, let's go back and kind of review slavery in our North American con uh, continent, in the United States. And I found already back in 1526, the Spaniards who were over here exploring, especially down in Florida, brought over slaves. Now apparently when the slaves found this new world, they thought, hey, you know, this is the time to get out of here. And there was definitely a slave revolt. But after much bloodshed, this was put down. In 1641, and I think this is very interesting, the Massachusetts colony. Now remember, these are the people who were the pilgrims who came to us from England for freedom of religion and freedom of doing things. Guess what? They legalized slavery. And I thought to myself, they had hypocrites back then also, just like today. Moving on into history, at the end of the Revolutionary War in 1789, France decided to abolish all slavery in the land that they owned. Now that was land in the Mississippi Valley, etc. But finally, by <coughs> 1807, President Jefferson, Tom Jefferson, decreed that there would be no more slave importation to the United States. No more slaves were to be brought here. And I thought to myself, I wondered, you know, he had a number of slaves at Monticello, at his place in Virginia, and I suspected he had all that he needed so that he's going to slam the door on everybody else. But whatever it was, he decreed no more importations. Of course, we know that that didn't go very well. A little later in 1834, the British freed all of the slaves under their command in North America. That's basically Canada. And of course in 1864 Lincoln gave us our proclamation, the Emancipation Proclamation that said slavery is done. 
It is often postulated why he did this. Was it really a true feeling that he really wanted to free the slaves? Or did he want to free the slaves so possibly they would rise up against their southern confederate people and help him win the victory? I don't know the answer, and I've read a lot about history, and no one else seems to know exactly why. And by 1865, the 13th Amendment to our Constitution abolishing forever slavery. Or did it? After the Civil War, and up to just before World War II, there was a system called peonage. This is where they would take a person of African descent, and they would have some trumped up legal charges, and they would throw them in jail. Now the jails were free at that time to farm these people out to labor. And so many of these prisoners were forced to do hard labor, especially in the mines, some in the fields, coal mines, terrible existence, especially in that time. So this kept and crept on until just before the beginning of World War II. So that's kind of the history of what's happened in our country. The rest, many of you are old enough now to know the liberation movement, etc., and it's still going on. Now, what does the Bible say about slavery? You know, when I'm in doubt about anything, I go to the good book and say, okay, what are the rules of the game? And we've heard from our readings about Hagar. And I thought it was very interesting how, you know, as a mistress in controlling of her slave, it was just like, well, I can't have a baby, so boom, you're the one that's going to try to conceive. You know, there's no real regard for human beings at all. But that's what happened in those days. And then, finally, later on, after Ishmael was born, and he grew up, and he was about 12 to 14 years old, the Isaac came along, and there was a big feast when Isaac was finished weaning. It was a big feast in the Hebrew nation, and now he was going to kind of one more step up into being a human being. Well, at this time, Ishmael poked fun at little Isaac. Well, obviously, this was very disconcerting to Sarah. And she went to Abraham again and said, take this handmaiden of mine and this kid and get rid of him. And so we see she was sent out to the wilderness. Water, food, but that dissipated very shortly. And there she was, setting her child down underneath a tree, and she went a ways off because she didn't want to see him die from the heat and the starvation and the lack of fluid. And you know what happened then? God came and said, hey, Ishmael is going to be the father of a great nation. Get up and get going. And he was. But it's been a thorn in the children of Israel's flesh ever since because Ishmael was the father of the Arab nation. And we know what's happened ever since. Always conflict, always hatred. It was a terrible situation. Another story in the Old Testament which I thought was interesting was Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, eventually resold in Egypt to Potiphar, very high man in charge of the king's or Pharaoh's guards. And Potiphar found out that Joseph really was a smart gentleman, a smart guy. He knew how to work and he knew how to do things. And so 
Gradually, Joseph became the person who ran Potiphar's house. Not only his house, but his business dealings and everything. And Potiphar thought, this is wonderful. Now, Joseph is described in the Bible as a very good-looking young man. Aha. Uh-huh. Potiphar's wife had some eyes on Joseph. And uh, on multiple occasions, she tried to tempt him. But Joseph always said, no, I cannot do this. This is not right in the sight of God. And it's not right that I do this to my master who has employed me and has blessed me. One day when there weren't any more, uh, apparently there was a, I'll say a vacation day for the servants, hardly anybody around. She became very forthright. And Joseph said, I better get out of here. And as he ran out, she grabbed his coat. That night when Potiphar came home, she fabricated the story that this Hebrew slave who you have here tried to attack me. And I screamed for help. And I grabbed his coat. And here is the proof. Let's stop for a minute. Men, if this was your wife telling you this story, what would you do to Joseph? Probably what Potiphar did. Throw him in jail. And I'm surprised in a way, but not really. Many times these slaves were just killed for doing wrong. They didn't care. What's one slave here or there? It doesn't make a bit of difference. But we know that this turned out good. God gave Joseph the ability to foretell dreams. He did this for the butler and the baker of Pharaoh in prison. Later on, he did it for Pharaoh. And actually, his interpretation of the dreams and the setting up of the government to bring in crops for the seven good years so that they had food for the seven bad years saved a lot of people's lives. So out of this story of slavery, you find a good blessing from the good Lord. We also, years later, the children of Israel grew in the northern part of Egypt, and they were a threat to the Egyptians. Uh, According to the Bible, you get the idea that they were multiplying much quicker than the Egyptians were. And they were, the Egyptians were quite afraid of this whole situation. So they made them into slaves. But the harder they worked them, the more they increased. It was kind of a cycle that never quit. And one day, Moses, who had been reared in Pharaoh's house, you know the story of him being found by Pharaoh's daughter, brought into the palace and reared there, was out walking around, and he saw an Egyptian who severely beat one of his fellow men. And he was so incensed at this that he killed the Egyptian taskmaster. Okay, he buried him in the sand. A few days later, he was out again walking around, and he found two Israeli men arguing between each other. And he went up and said, don't do this, quit, stop. And one turned to him and said, oh, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? The message was out, and Moses fled the land to Midian. Now, we know the rest of the story, how God brought him back, and he led the children of Israel out of their slavery. Into the, eventually, 40-some years later, to Canaan, their promised land. One of the nicest stories, I think, about slavery in the Bible <clears throat> is about the time when the kings of Aram, or now called Syria, would come down and raid the northern tribes of Israel. 
And when you rage, you want to get some bounty, booty, and slaves to work at home. And so one of the little slaves was this little girl. And she became the slave of the missus, who uh, her husband was, I would say, the five-star general of the army, greatly loved by his king. Now, Naaman had the unfortunate experience of coming down with leprosy, which is not a very fun disease to have. It was rather common in that part of the world and in that climate. Leprosy basically is a neurological disease whereby the end nerves don't function and therefore sometimes your fingers and toes don't function. Sometimes they become necrotic. Sometimes they even dissipate and almost you don't have things. And also there are many ulcers or wide open wounds to the skin. That's enough for your medical lecture today. <clears throat> and so this general came down with leprosy. Well, the little girl said to her mistress, and there must have been affection between the two. Otherwise, she would not have done this, I'm sure. But she said, if only Naaman would go to my land, there's a prophet who was Elisha, and I'm sure he could help him. Well, the news spread very rapidly, and the king said, yes, go. And they loaded up the chariots and the wagons and everything else, and down they went with a whole bunch of gold, silver, and all kinds of gifts. And as we see, he stopped at the king's palace, and the king was flabbergasted. He said, what am I supposed to do? Heal this leper? I can't perform miracles. I think this guy in Syria is just trying to get a fight with me. Okay. Elisha heard about this. He said, send him over to my house. So Naaman and his chariots and boys came over to the house, expecting, I'm sure, the great prophet to come out and do some abracadabra and call down from the heavens all different kind of tinctures and medicines, whatever else. No, he sent his servant out. And his servant said, go wash in the Jordan River seven times. Now the Jordan River was not a particularly great river. It was also the sewage system of that part of the land. And Naaman was very incensed. And he said, why should I wash in this mess here? I can go home to my country where I have spring-fed streams and they're pure and wonderful. And he was in a huff. And he was ready to leave. But some of his wise servants came and said, Master, if the prophet would have told you to do something really fantastic, would you not have done it? Naaman thought for a while, regained his um, demeanor, shall we say, and returned. He went down to the Jordan River, bathed himself seven times, and lo and behold, he was cured. Again, all because of what a little slave girl did in his home. My last story, I think, that I like <clears throat> from the Bible is about Paul. Paul was now, uh, had house arrest in Rome. He was appealing his so-called crime uh, to Caesar. But, of course, their dockets were stacked up like many of ours are here, and the trial was not going to be right away. So he, had, he was under house arrest, uh, and he was free to be in the house. His friends were free to come to him. He, they could do anything for him. And as a result, he did many writings and letters to all different kinds of people. Well, Saul, uh, Paul had converted a man uh, by the name of Philemon. And they became not only uh, 
good friends, but really close friends. Now Philemon had a slave called Onesimus. We don't know exactly what and why Onesimus and Philemon got into a tussle, so to speak, but we suspect also that possibly Onesimus stole something from Philemon because later on in the letter from Paul he says if any money is missing please charge it to my account and I will pay it. So anyway Onesimus came and lived with Apostle Paul and as a result he too became a Christian. Well Paul really loved him because he was so helpful and he hated to depart but he said, I've got to send him back because he's the property of Philemon. So he sends a long letter to Philemon. It's called the Book of Philemon, in which he beautifully states, <clears throat> I am sending Onesimus back. Not because I really want to, because he was really a great help for me, but I'm sending him back and I want you to receive him, not as a slave and master, but as a brother in Christ. So I think the Bible is giving us some real vibes and references as to how to treat one another. Paul wrote many letters. And in one of the letters to Timothy, a young minister at that time who was just beginning, beginning his ministry, he said, those who are slaves show respect to your masters so that God's name is not slandered. Furthermore, do not show less respect for Christian masters because you're a brother of them, but serve them even better than you would the non-Christian. Apostle Peter also wrote in his book, Slaves, submit yourself to masters, not only to the good ones, but also to the bad ones, because if a man bears up under unjust suffering, he is conscious of God all very commendable to our Lord. And in his letter to Romans, Paul writes, and he talks now about sin, that we are slaves in our human nature to sin. But because Christ died for us, he has freed us from this slavery to sin. And that was most important, and a whole chapter is due to this. And he states, formerly you were slaves to sin, but now become slaves to God. He's switching it around. And I thought, that is wonderful. Because as slaves to God, you're not going to wind up at the end of the line just dying. You will wind up at the end of the line inheriting eternal life in heaven. And what a blessing that is. While the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is obviously eternal life. Now, we must ask ourselves, are you a good slave to God? Amen.